This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Live from the Accessible Media Studios, this is Kelly and Rumya. Entertainment, lifestyle, and great conversation. It's AMI's on-air community, and everyone's invited. It's a Tuesday, and you're tuning in to Kelly and Rumya. 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time on AMI. Two hours of talk and listening and learning. I'm Rumya Amadin. Kelly McDonald here. I'm in Toronto, he's in London, and he's back. So we are going to get into so much fun today, Kells, kicking things off on a Tuesday. Uh, And speaking of kicking things off, so many announcements, noteworthy announcements. This is one particular one. Luxterna, this might sound familiar to you. It's a gene therapy treatment uh, approved by Health Canada recently. We've had some conversations on the show regarding that. For those living with Lieber's congenital amaurosis, it's an eye condition, congenital, having the specific RPE65 gene mutation, good news, it's now covered by OHIP, by Ontario Health. Uh, it's an incredible, important time for this conversation as we keep in touch with health research. And a huge shout out to Fighting Blindness Canada and all of its supporters, its um and allies and sponsors and communities, everyone who's helped get here with Luxterna. It's long, hard work. So congratulations to the teams and everybody else for Luxterna. You can, of course, go to fbc.ca to find out more information and to keep in touch with this progressive news. Mm-hmm. And, now- and what a way when, it talks, when you talk about something moving the needle for people, um, this is big news for those impacted, those who have family, friends. Yes. But it says a lot for now the positioning for other research, other things that happen, not even necessarily related, but that openness and those important conversations that have happened, Ramya, that make governments say, yeah, this is important to, to approve. Let's go forward with it and put it on that level of being supported because it you want it to be. You want anyone who's in a position of being compromised in any capacity or with troubles. If there's something there that could help some, you want it a part mm-hmm. of life. You want we, it a part of the solution. We saw through this example how many people needed to get involved to push it to this yes. degree. And, uh, you know, all over Canada, too, who was making the decisions first? Who was following that lead? And now look where we are. Ontario was pretty much the... Uh, a final province to approve this through healthcare, but we mm-hmm. know that that is enormous progress. So, well, and a lot of people who have fell out of touch with knowing about their eye condition, mm-hmm. been vision impaired, or had a genetic eye disease yep. all their life, let's say, and just basically said, eh, "Well, they can't really do anything for me." And now, well, hold on, guys, let's get on board. At least we were there to set the stage for maybe others, young people, that it could start, or some of us older people are saying, hey, hey, how do I get in line? Well, let's do testing. Awesome. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it started with the testing, and we continue with the testing. Speaking of continuing, let's find out what's coming up on today's edition of Kelly and Rumia. On the show today, we have a throwback. Two weeks ago, we talked about mushrooms, and we're continuing that conversation with nutritionist Julia Caranches. This time, the focus is functional mushrooms, so not the ones you can find at the grocery store. 
Mm -hmm. And a name that many of us know, there's a benefit concert being hosted by Alan Doyle. You know him, folks. This is for Bridges to Hope. Uh, St. John's community reporter Kim Thistle. She'll be here at the top of the second hour with the details. Feels like forever since we talked woodworking, so we're bringing that to you with Jeff Thompson. He's telling us how a candy dispenser practically built his shop. Now, I feel like there's a lot of uh, sentimentality in this story, so I'm really looking forward to getting into it with him. But let's talk about the White House for a second, because the White House is giving all federal agencies in the United States 30 days to wipe their TikTok off government devices. That's according to new guidance from Office of Management and Budget Director Shalonda Young. Contractors must meet the same standard within 90 days. Some agencies like the Defense Department, the Department of Homeland Security and the State Department already had existing TikTok bans for security reasons. The administration says this is part of an ongoing effort to secure digital infrastructure and protect the American people's security and privacy. Karen Travers, ABC News, Washington. What a shift in the kinds of asks from government, uh, from, you know, legislation even. In Canada, we're hearing about, I don't want to quote the legislation wrong, I think it's C-118, um, where we're talking about, you know, crediting news sources and crediting journalism and Google's fight with our government on that basis. So there's just, simply because technology has gotten us to such different places than five years ago, ten years ago, the discussions we're having and the fights that we have to have um, and <laughs> the removal of applications, you know, software and how we handle these things on and off duty is so significant now, Kels. Yeah, you know, Rami, the problem here is we have always been a reactive country. So when trouble happens, we do something about it. Now we're trying to fall into sync with our allies, you know, telling our federal employees that stuff won't be allowed on your phone either. Get TikTok out of there. Not allowing Google and them to get away with uh, news curation of whatever mm -hmm. kind. We don't have to pay for anything. We don't have to. Well, hold on. You're making lots of money. And there are a lot of struggling um, news agencies here that need that support, need some help. And the CRTC can't legislate at all. There needs to be sources. And when there's money out there, uh, it's got to be shared. And people have got to be able to exist and pay their bills and pay their staff. Yeah, and with security, with the TikTok ban going sure. on in the U.S., and some people already having had that uh, happen, as we heard in the clip, uh, it's pretty interesting that, you know, we have to navigate through all this to make make sure that our countries are not falling apart. Um, and, you know, we have, when you say allyship, I think of, well, partnerships in general mm -hmm. cannot, can be also not great, you know, uh, specifically yeah. TikTok in China. Yeah, we need to think on our own. We can't just follow blindly, as yeah. we say, without thinking it through. But you do have to show loyalty and support. What if you have a TikTok addiction? I don't know, man. You got to deal with it. All right, we're going to take a break. Come back with Dr. Danielle Jonkind on Ask a Veterinarian. And today we're discussing dog bites. Not so great if your dog bites someone. She's going to tell us what we can do about it. We'll be right back. Don't miss a minute. Kelly and Ramya will be right back. Welcome back. It's Kelly and Ramia on AMI. I'm Ramia Amuthan. Joining me, Kelly McDonald, back from his several days off. It's nice to have you back, Kels. Well, thank you very much. I uh, learned that I got to stop 
crossing my legs. When I sit here doing the show, <laughs> I have a bad habit of crossing my right leg over my left, okay. being tall like I am. And I know my massage therapist said, oh, that's why you're having that uh, problem in your knee. Oh. My right knee has been bugging me a little bit. He says, you're pulling and it's tightening. And oh, so I'm trying. And I love when our music comes on to wiggle my toe and everything like mm -hmm. that. And I realized you're crossed already. And the show just started. Good Not heavens. even a little. Like even if you crisscross and uncross often enough throughout the show, like every 10 minutes? I think if, if I did, but I have no idea. So I'm trying just not to do oh, it I because I, it gets so comfortable. I don't even think about it. But it's just one of those things that you know in your positioning. You and I know about sitting here, mm -hmm. trying to hold our positions, be okay. And you go doing these things that, oh, that feels comfortable. Mm, not necessarily in the long run. <laughs> uh-huh. Long run <laughs> is, uh, is sometimes not a good run. That's for sure. Uh, folks, we've got, of course, on Tuesday, one of our main staples to the program. We always get a chance to visit with our veterinarian, who today is uh, going to be represented by the cat, chatting to us on the purple phone. Let's welcome in Danielle Johnkine. Whether they provide us with companionship and income, food, or serve a critical role in the ecosystems that support us, animals are vital to human health. Have fun with us as we learn about animal-related topics and about the amazing bond we share with our animal friends. Always wonderful. So great to have you back on the program, of course, Danielle. Uh, important conversation, though, today, and I, as we were prepping for it, I, I remembered back to my biggest fear as a child uh, was, was really dogs. And today's subject has a lot to do with that for me when I, when I think about it, but I can't imagine being a pet owner. What to do when the worst happens? What happens when your dog bites someone? Uh, Danielle Johnkind here to tell us a little bit more about this. So Danielle, as a dog owner, um, is that owner responsible for that dog's behavior? Well, you know, the answer to that might be different depending on where you live, but uh, here in Ontario we have something called the Dangerous Dog Act, which uh, clearly states that the owner of a dog is liable for damages resulting from a bite or attack by the dog on another person or a domestic animal. So basically, yeah, you know, if your dog hurts someone or hurts another domestic animal, um, it's possible that, you know, you could be held responsible for that and face consequences. So, you know, all of us who decide to have dogs as pets, you know, we have a responsibility to make sure that our dog is not a danger to anyone else. And, you know, I'd also add that we have a responsibility to protect our dogs as well. Yep. I mean, aggression is a behavior problem that can certainly lead to euthanasia for any dog. So, you know, dealing with this behavior at the first sign of a problem, taking it seriously, you know, that's the best way to ensure that your dog's welfare is looked after in the long run. In the long run. I've uh, heard people on the street, like when you pass by them and their dog is barking, that they try to assure you, oh, don't worry, he's a good dog, he's a good dog. But I always wonder how people feel if they weren't dog people. Or Kelly, you talked about your trauma, that kind of situation, and, and trying to convince them that your dog is safe. I don't know about all that. But are there bad dogs, Danielle, that attack people for no reason? 
Well, you know, we we always have to remember that no matter how well we know our dog, he or she is not a person. And, you know, we can always expect our dogs to behave like dogs and not like people. And, you know, I think this might cause some confusion for some people when their dog bites somebody unexpectedly. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the behavior, of course, seemed appropriate to the situation to the dog, you know, even if the people involved had no idea why the dog reacted the way it did. Um, the dog usually has a reason, you know, even if we didn't understand their reasoning. And, I mean, to give you a simple example, you know, I was walking home on the sidewalk one day after getting my mail at the post box, and, you know, when I saw someone out walking with their giant breed dog, and, I mean, I read dog body language all the time. It's just part of my job. So I could tell, you know, by this dog's body language and by the way he was watching me that he was being protective of his owner, you know, and Mm. he had sort of decided that I was a potential threat. And I moved off the sidewalk and onto the grass and I avoided making eye contact with the dog kind of just as a precaution. And boy, was I glad that I did. (laughs) You know, it kind of took the owner by surprise when the dog lunged in my direction as they passed by me on the sidewalk. And, you know, he had just missed the cues his dog was putting out that, you know, this dog was not going to be okay with me walking by them. And, of course, dogs, of course, have no idea that, you know, I legally have the right to walk down any public sidewalk. So, you know, it's, it's up to dog owners Where to make sure Where did you ever hear that? Who told you that? Yeah, really, eh? <laughs> well, this not poor according dog, to this you know, puppy. somebody didn't tell him the rules. That's right. This is a great But it's one down. of those... But- it, it is one of those things that's, that, that someone, like I said, if you don't know, and, and you, you know, you say that, oh, what, the owner should know more. Maybe, maybe not. Like, it's, it's kind of like reading a person's mind, too. Yeah, and, you know, and dogs do give off clues, you know, but some of them are very subtle. Like, you know, it can just be like the the ear positioning, the tail positioning, what their attention is on, you know, um, those kinds of things, you know. But it, it if you're not, you know, paying attention, if you're on your phone or you're thinking about something else, you might miss that, you know. And, of course, you know, some, some dogs are more likely to bite than others because of bad experiences they've had with certain mm-hmm. situations or because of the temperament they inherited. I mean, some dogs are just naturally more fearful, more anxious than others. Um, Some are more protective of their people in their home, and some are just less tolerant of things and situations they'd rather not have to deal with, you know, things like nail trimming or kids who try and hug them. And this doesn't make them bad dogs. It makes them individual personalities who need training to cope with the world they live in. And, you know, even with help, some of them won't be able to cope and may need different living arrangements. Um, For example, maybe a home without children. But those who can't be managed, you know, unfortunately, sometimes they end up euthanized to preserve public safety. Mm. What an assessment, you you know, you need to be able to make and not all the time. Would you ever know something could go, I'm sure everything could go swimmingly and then all of a sudden... Like that, they encounter Danielle John kind of walking down the sidewalk, moving onto the grass, and I don't want to be too close to that lady. It's interesting. Um, but what are some of the other things a person could utilize to know that their dog might be aggressive? Well, you know, it's it's really important to expose your dog to a variety of situations when they're fully within your control, you know, so you can see how they might react, especially if the dog is new to you. Um, warning signs of aggression toward you or members of your household, you know, might involve the dog growling. It might be snarling or lifting a lip at you. Sometimes they'll snap at you with their teeth, even if they don't actually grab you with them. And some of them will exhibit fearful behavior. You know, you do something that they don't like and they scream and flail and start panicking. 
Um, you know, most dogs that are fearful will run away from what they fear if they can, but if they can't get away, they can become mm. aggressive. So that fearful behavior is something you shouldn't ignore. Um, dogs that are aggressive to other people who don't live in the house with them um, might show, of course, those same behaviors towards strangers. But like Remy said earlier, you know, I'd also be mindful of that dog that goes wild, barking and lunging when people approach the house, when people approach a vehicle that it's in, or toward another person on the street, you know. So those are, you know, maybe some warning signs that you should pay attention to, like, oh, there, there could be an issue here. Maybe we should look into that a bit more. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think if, like for me, um, being a dog owner, you you start to think of the world as more of a dog-friendly place, but we have to be very um, aware that that's not the case, right? Not every dog and, and person walking on the sidewalk wants to say hi to your dog or you or interact at all, and maybe like you said, it's the complete opposite. You need to be uh, on the other side of the street when this dog approaches. So let's talk about if when the situation happens, a dog bites? Well, you know, if a veterinarian or a medical health professional, like a doctor, for example, you know, is, is made aware that a, a dog bit someone, in Ontario, they're obligated to inform public health. And public health will then investigate to make sure the dog is up to date on their rabies vaccinations. Um, they can also order a dog to be quarantined to make sure it doesn't show any signs of rabies infection. And, of course, they keep in touch with the person who was bitten to make sure that they don't need post-exposure treatment for rabies. Um, the person who was bitten, of course, can also contact the police or their local, um, some municipalities rely on um, other services to investigate dog attacks. Um, but anyway, they can have that, um, you know, that service or the police um, investigate, you know, um, some of them will even have the owner charged, you know, and the whole men are sent to court for judgment. Um, the court, of course, can order a dog removed from the owner. They can impose restrictions on how the dog is to be managed if it's deemed okay to return to the owner. For example, they might say you have to walk it with a muzzle or, you know, it can't be off the leash. Um, and, of course, they can order a dog to be euthanized, you know, if they deem that's necessary for public safety. But, of course, not everyone who's bitten by a dog will report the bite to police or proceed with legal action against the dog's owner. But, you know, that's for sure one reason why you should take any aggressive behavior your dog displays very seriously. Mm. It's got to be a real, when you think about, it's, it's, you know, I imagine it's like if you create an accident, whether it's driving a car, you bump somebody, somebody falls and gets hurt, breaks an arm or something like that, or you're biking, whatever, you, you feel horrible. And let alone in a case like this, you feel horrible for the person, you worry about your dog, and, and that's a, a love member of the family. What, a, what an awkward situation, of course. So, Danielle, what should a person do for their dog to prevent that aggression from becoming a problem? Well, of course, there's nothing you can do about the temperament your dog has inherited. So, you know, right. of course, this is one of those situations you want to make sure you choose your dog carefully. Um, some breeds are not necessarily good choices for the inexperienced, you know, because they were bred originally to be more aggressive because they're bred to be dog guard dogs. And, you know, while there are certainly exceptions to every rule, more individuals in those breeds tend to have more aggressive temperaments. So if you're not experienced with handling and training dogs, you might want to stay away from those breeds because they might be more of a challenge than you want to take on. 
Um, another thing you can do, of course, is to prevent fearful responses. So, you know, exposing your puppy to all kinds of positive situations and interactions, expose them to lots of people, you know, so they learn they have nothing to fear from them. Um, training with positive reinforcement techniques is also super important. Um, dogs tend to default to whatever behavior they feel is appropriate when faced with a new situation. And if that default behavior is not appropriate, <laughs> you can train your dog what it should do instead. For example, you know, it's impossible to run to the door barking and nipping at people's heels when you've been told to sit and stay. By training your dog to focus on you and to listen to commands, you can reward them when they display the right behavior rather than yell and scream at them when they display the wrong one. And of course, that takes time and patience to teach. You know, you have to start by training the dog in a non-distracting environment and gradually increase the level of distraction as your dog learns to focus on you and ignore what used to set them off. There's a lot, wow. Danielle, a lot. Oh, boy. What if the person knows that their dog is aggressive? What can be done to help with the dog? Well, you know, my best advice is to seek professional help. You know, if, if your veterinarian feels the problem is beyond what they can realistically help you with, they can provide you with a referral to an animal behavior specialist. These are either vets or psychologists who've gone on to do additional training in animal behavior, and they've been certified in that specialty. Aggressive dogs, of course, are dangerous, you know, especially if they're large breed dogs. So, you know, you can imagine like a chihuahua might give you a nasty bite wound and some stitches, antibiotics, yeah. that kind of thing. But a Rottweiler might actually be able to kill somebody, right? Yeah. So you, do, you really don't want to take advice from just anybody on how to handle a situation like that. A professional can help determine the dog's reasons for aggression, how to best manage it. And that might involve training, might invi involve modifying a dog's routine or lifestyle and might involve medication. Um, in the worst aggression cases, it can be a huge commitment to train and manage one of these dogs, and not everyone is able or willing to take that on. And maybe sometimes the best thing you can do is recognize that you aren't able to deal with that problem. Um, aggressive dogs are not adoptable just to just any home, of course, you know, and the number of people who can safely keep them are few and far between. So, you know, if an acceptable solution can't be found, then, you know, euthanasia may be the most unfortunate but appropriate option depending on the circumstances. Incredible, incredible, Danielle. Thank you for the very important conversation. I learned a lot myself from there. Danielle Johnkind joins us every week at this time for Ask a Veterinarian. And after the break, we're coming back with nutritionist Julia Caranchis to continue that conversation on mushrooms, this time functional. Not the ones you can put in your stir-fry, unfortunately, but there'll be some good to it. We'll be right back. Stick around and learn something new. Kelly and Romeo return with more in a moment. You're tuned into Kelly and Ramia here on AMI. Thanks for joining us, our viewers from AMI-TV and our listeners from AMI-audio. Always appreciate your presence and, uh, of course, input on our show as well. We throw up our phone number and emails for you earlier, but 1-866-509-4545 if you want to join in on the conversation via voicemail. I'm Ramia Amuthan. Kelly McDonald is also here, and we're going to jump into nutrition now with Julia Caranchis. Join me on Kelly and Ramya as we dive into the wonderful world of nutrition and wellness with tips to stay healthy and live a vibrant lifestyle. 
prep for this conversation, Julia, I got so many mushrooms at home. I made a stir fry <laughs> yesterday. I'm going to make one today. And then it turns out we're actually not talking about these mushrooms at all. <laughs> no, we, we did spend a lot of time last segment talking about them. I and know. I feel the other side got a little shafted. So last Last time we talked about, you know, mushrooms that you added in the stir fry. And this week we're going to talk about functional mushrooms, which you would not add to your the stir fry. Mm -mm. And I think that these names of some of the mushrooms that we're going to talk about are going to sound new, but really mushrooms have been used for thousands of years for their health benefits in, in you know, alternative health care. Okay. So I thought they would be a little bit more fun to explore. Well, it'll be a complete learning curve for me. So first of all, are mushrooms plants? Can we start there? Yeah, this is a great place to start. Um, there was one point where we, you know, we categorize them as plants, but they're not plants. So they actually are now in a kingdom all on their own, separate from plants and animals. Huh. And, you know, just to keep things simple, one of the differentiating features is the way that the fungi, which is the kingdom that they belong to, so mushrooms are fungi, fungus, is the way that they obtain their food. It is different from plants, and it is different from animals. You know, animals, we just eat our food, and plants get it from sunlight, but mushrooms, fungi get it differently with their, their spores, the, that stuff underneath the cap. Um, so the way that they obtain their food is one of the differences. So they're actually not a plant, but they're not an animal. So they're still good for vegan consumption. Mm. Mm. Yeah. You know, I always think, I always think um, when they discovered we could eat some mushrooms, as we talked about last time, the amazing amount of, of types of them, but there's a lot out there that, you know, you're not really supposed to eat all those kinds of things that we can get into. But yeah, I always found how the heck did they figure that out way back when? And I know, I know the easy answer is, well, trial, trial by air. You enjoy it, you don't get sick, or you enjoy it and do get sick. Um, last time when you were with us, you mentioned a bunch that had some funny names. What are some examples of the functional mushrooms, however? Some functional mushrooms are cordyceps, turkey ah. tail, lion's mane, chaga is another functional mushroom um, and reishi is another popular one so these are the more popular ones that you're going to find in supplements or readily available in, in that health food store situation um, and sometimes the name is really based off just the appearance of the mushroom right. as opposed to you know something that's a little more scientific like the lion's mane mushroom uh -huh. has a very hairy like appearance to it right um so it's you know yeah, <laughs> not not overly. Well, that's the only. That. That's what I was thinking. That it's got to be these names. It's got to be something about the description of them. Because good heavens, where would you come up with some of these? Yeah, I know, I know, and I I share the same thought as you, Kelly. With how did we? Because you know, not everything is safe to eat. I mean, there's some mm -hmm. fungus that you don't want to eat, and I always I I always think about that. I mean, who found you know any food really and thought oh let let, let me put this uh, in my mouth and see what happens yeah. the, the royal yeah. taster <laughs> yeah yeah and then even how did we continue to consume things even if they didn't taste nice on the palate you know yeah. like what That's was that such driving a good point. force yeah because not everything tastes great no but if you do certain things to them, yeah, if you do certain things to them, they're awesome. But at first, you yes. figure someone try it and say, Ugh, forget this. Hundred percent, hundred percent. So, Julia, what kinds of things are functional mushrooms good for? Why are we taking these? 
Yeah, what good is it even to do for us? Well, different mushrooms have different components in them that help us with various aspects of our health. So, um, you know, we'll call these components, these components of, of the mushrooms. So cordyceps, for example, contains something called beta-glucans, which is known to help with the immune system. So we know that cordyceps, this mushroom is great for immune support. So if, you know, cold and flu, we also have found it to be great at helping to decrease stress. So it can also be used for that. Um, and these beta-glucans that we have found in them are great at activating white blood cells. And that's the mechanism where it would support the immune system. So this is what we know for cordyceps. So that's really interesting. Very and different so. ones are used for, like they're not all gonna be great for the immune system. No. Or have no. they have different oh, no, jobs. They have different jobs, yeah. Right. Although a lot I mean, of them overall, are really good for the immune system. Right, because they overall take care of the body. So how do we consume them? Just like vitamins or what? Right, because you don't find them in the grocery store, right? So right. Um, there's a couple of different ways you can consume mushrooms. There's a couple of companies out there that do different things. Capsules are very common and popular because there's no taste and there's also no prep work involved. So you would take it just as a supplement, a vitamin, you know, with the rest of your pills that you take in the morning, like vitamin C or whatnot. Um, you could also use, you know, make a tea out of it. So they can be consumed like a hot tea. Um, you can find them in mm. powder form. Some some companies will have it in a powder form. And you could also find them in a tincture. And for those who are unfamiliar with tinctures, tinctures are concentrated. Usually there's a, a little bit of an alcohol involved, a concentrated oh. version of a natural substance, and you would take it orally. You could mix That's it with tincture. something depending on how potent it tasted because they don't all taste lovely on the palate. Um, yeah. So a, like in a liquid form, but you, like a supplement is how you would take it. Is the alcohol to convince you to drink it? Here, have this uh, one. Take about. a shot. Yeah. yeah. It's the perk. It's a perk. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, very interesting that you can take it in all these different ways. And I'm curious about, you know, I, the percentage of the population that does take these, like especially if you are already taking supplements and um, are yes. aware of the benefits. Yeah, and know about them because I've never really heard this. Yeah, I had no clue. No, I mean, I used to work in a supplement store and I remember the first time somebody came in and asked me if we had turkey tail. And I I just thought, are you sure that's that's what you want? Are I you thought sure they were being a wise guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Here's I, some feathers. I said, are you sure that's what it's called? And, you know, I, I had some skepticism and then I looked into it and of course they were 100% correct. They did indeed want turkey tail. And as I, you know, I was very fortunate to work in that field because it was a great learning experience. Mm -hmm. But then you got to see all these companies that actually specialize in mushrooms and then how many of them there are, right? I mean, you've got chaga and reishi and even mataki is another is another type of mushroom you often see with with uh, reishi in in a supplement, and you know the person was was totally correct. Lion's mane and turkey tail; those were real things that they wanted, and they it was really, you know. How long have this been available? These in this form, like I mean, we're sitting here saying, "Oh, well, but like this person comes and say this to you, and obviously right. these weren't discovered, put into this form overnight. It's not a new fad. No, no, and. As more research is being done on the mushrooms, we do see more products that contain mushrooms 
coming out in different forms, in, you know, for example, the powder as opposed to just as a pill format, yes. as research develops, all always new stuff is evolving, which is great to see. I mean, I'm sure that there's people listening that have known about them much longer than I have. Mm -hmm. I think the first time that I heard about them was definitely over 10 years ago because I worked in the supplement store. And so, you know, Rishi and Mataki were in a couple of immune supporting supplements that we sold. And then that led down the path of learning about turkey tail and cordyceps. And then the more research that's been done, the more useful we see them and the more they start to show up in, in other supplements. Right. Because as ingredients yeah. uh, along with other things. Right. Around the theme. Okay, so what other benefits uh, for some of these functional mushrooms? We talked about the immune so system. Chaga, yeah. So different, right, different mushrooms are good for different things. So chaga, we, we mentioned at the beginning. So this is help, great at helping to decrease inflammation. And it's also known to be anti-tumor. Lion's mane is super interesting. This one is very good for cognitive health, for brain health. Um, the lion's mane has components that help with growth and survival of neurons. Hmm. So this is how it's, this is why it's beneficial for, for brain health. And it can also aid in the reduction of mild depression and anxiety. And then there's turkey tail, which sounds so funny and not like a mushroom or a health supplement at all. But turkey tail contains something called polysaccharides, one of which we know can help support the immune system. And so this is helpful for fighting off colds, and it's also known to improve gut health. I have a yeah, so, follow-up. Wow. Just wow. curious, why can't we eat these mushrooms as they are, like as we would eat other mushrooms and just toss them into our foods? What's the difference? Um, Do we know? So there's, there's definitely a couple of reasons. I can't quite speak to all of them accurately, so I don't want to give any false information. Usually with things of this nature, it's hard to get therapeutic doses of the active component of whatever is giving you that health benefit. I see. Right? Okay. Um, yeah. And you, you also want them processed in a way that's safe for consumption mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. So it's not as easy as just sauteing them and putting them in your uh, stir fry, <laughs> unfortunately. Right. Yes. Well, and and I would easy. imagine... I imagine you got to think about the amount, how much of a dose, what's okay for human. And like you said, if it's not really cookable or eating raw, right. you, you look at other options or whatever else has to accompany it in, in, that, in that pill, I guess. Right. right. So like um, mushrooms have been used for thousands of years in, in, you know, traditional forms of medicine. However, only recently have we been diving into the science mm -hmm. of why they're beneficial, which is really legitimizing their use. But as you start diving into the science and finding out things like, you know, which mushrooms contain these bladed glucons or these polysaccharides or these other components that are so beneficial, that's where those benefits are coming from. And so, you know, you want to consider how do we preserve those beneficial components and how much of it do we get via eating it versus if we take it as a supplement in order for it to actually be effective. And so I think you know, the, the science that's legitimizing the use of these is helping to govern the way in which we consume them in order for them to actually be a benefit. You know, it's okay. it's like the red wine, the resveratrol in the red wine, which, you know, it's a, it's a great antioxidant, but you'd have to consume multiple bottles of red wine to get any 
useful amount <laughs> yeah. of resveratrol uh, from it. You're right. Yeah. Such and, a problem. And that might might be fun, but maybe not healthy. Uh, we're, maybe we're, not we, healthy. Just maybe. Do we find these at health food stores? Absolutely. Yeah, you can. You can. And just ask if you're having a hard time uh, discovering a company that makes it. There's, you know, the people in the work in the health food stores tend to have a very good handle on what's new, what's coming, what sells, feedback from other customers of what they've used to be effective. And so I always encourage people that are new to the supplement or the health food world to ask the people that work in these stores because they've got the practical experience and it can be very helpful. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of supplements also that will combine these mushrooms, which is really nice. So, you know, oh, I want the immune benefits of this one, but I really like that this one also helps with cognitive function and whatnot. You can find supplements that will combine them as well. And so I encourage people to do their research and find something that they feel, you know, speaks to them that they might mm -hmm. want to try and consume. Fascinating. Awesome information, Julia. Thank you so much for bringing this to us. I'm glad we Thanks, did a part guys. two. Thanks, Great segment today. Yeah. Always thankful uh, to have our conversations with nutritionist Julia Caranches, and it's nice to have a part two on our mushrooms. Learn a little more. <laughs> After the break, we're talking about You're My Hero. This is a seven-part comedy series about navigating the world with cerebral palsy. It's coming to CBC Gem very soon in March, and we're going to talk to the creator and the series-starring actor, Sean Talgood. We'll be right back. Stick around and learn something new. Kelly and Ramya return with more in a moment. You're tuned into Kelly and Ramya on AMI, 2 to 4 p.m. Monday to Friday. Kelly McDonald and Ramya Amuthan, we're the hosts of the show, and we join you with two hours of jam-packed conversation. Later on, if you missed anything or if you want to share some of that content, you can go to your favorite podcast platform to search for Kelly and Ramya and do that. Kelly, over to you. You know, mm -hmm. thank you. I, I love when we get into some really interesting conversations, and unfortunately, folks, sometimes we love them to be about our own business here. So I uh, really get to learn a lot by having guests on who can share so much, but it's always wonderful when we can talk about media, we can talk about creative content and about disability in some form or another and, and looping it in, okay? Uh, You're My Hero, a seven-part comedy series about navigating the world with cerebral palsy. Comes to CBC on March 24th, created by and starring Sean Togood, who we are very, very thrilled to be chatting with right now as we welcome Sean to the program. Sean, welcome to Kelly and Ramya. Appreciate your time. Hello. Thanks for having me. So, Sean, I'm going to start with the typical. I know you've done enough of this media reach out and talking about it, but will you first introduce yourself to us and tell us a little bit about you? So, um, I'm Sean. Uh, I have a, a radio broadcasting uh, background, and a diploma from Humber, and uh, I, um, I found my way into the uh, comedy writing kind of offshoot of, of media, and a lot of what I did on the radio side was telling stories and helping facilitate stories of people with disabilities and kind of 
allowing that to have a voice uh, in media. So that's really uh, sort of the extension of what we're hoping to do with this show as well. Very Amazing. Thank you yeah. for sharing some of that background with us. And uh, it is wonderful, kind of off the back of what Kelly was saying earlier, it's wonderful to kind of use our lived experiences and our backgrounds in media to create and facilitate these conversations as you're doing with You're My Hero. So how did you pitch this series to CBC and how do you feel now going into people about to actually watch the series in March? Um, well... The way I pitched it, uh, I really wanted something that was an authentic uh, representation on screen of people uh, living their lives with disabilities. Mm -hmm. Because I think what we get a lot of is uh, two ends of a spectrum, either inspirational or tragic right. and I really mm -hmm. I really wanted to show something that was kind of more true to what my life is so I started writing it about five years ago now and then I was ready to hang it up and then I found uh, a fantastic writing partner uh, by the name of Cassidy Siviero who got me in touch with our producer, Kevin Wallace. And ever since then, we've just had the most amazing people around us who are uh, all working to facilitate putting this together. And I really can't wait until uh, it's out in the world and people get to, uh, people get to experience it. Wow. Um, I think about, Sean, the fact that at Humber, you know, when you're in school, you think, oh, what am I going to use this for? What am I going to do with this? I love the industry. I have this focus of what I would like to do. And, and we know that from myself and Ramya from being in broadcast school, those areas that you're like, oh, yeah, I want to do that. But I think about what you said off the top, the writing, creating your bits, the, the disability angle you took. And now I'm sitting here thinking with partnering up with, with the writer, the producer to get this out there. Can you tell us a little bit about what an episode looks like um, with you telling the story, wanting it not to be at necessarily at either end of the, the spectrum, but include it all, but to be that proper representation. Can you walk us through what a, just a, an episode, how you decided to structure it? Yeah. Um, so an episode is really uh, centering around uh, three friends and what uh, their daily lives are. So disability is obviously part of what my character's daily life is, but it's also how those three friends navigate uh, the normal challenges of life uh, in terms of uh, social challenges as well, but then having uh, added barriers uh, by living in a world that's not necessarily designed for people in wheelchairs. So it's really about uh, getting through life um, uh, by being able to have friends around you. And uh, yeah. Great. Excellent. Awesome. Really awesome.
I think um, we can all agree that, you know, there's a spectrum around disability, whether you identify as having cerebral palsy or have low vision or anything, really, if you're a wheelchair user, there are many different people who have varying experiences in that, Sean. So how did you want to, like, what was your hands down, this is how I'm portraying my disability in the series? Well, I think for me, I definitely wanted to steer away from anything uh, uh, that was like overly inspirational um, because, you know, that's often how uh, my disability and disability in general gets portrayed in media. But we have an episode where uh, people just hang out and, and go to a, a, a nightclub and some of the challenges that just arise from going to a nightclub. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I figured out that my life is pretty, uh, pretty funny just having to navigate simple tasks sometimes. So if we can kind of turn up the humor on that, yeah. I think that's where that's where this series arrives. Yeah, and I think that's a challenge. I, I know myself when I've done work in theater, especially related to disability, getting the audience that permission to laugh because we're laughing, because we know there's so many things in life that bring that humor out whether we wanted to or not. So I really love hearing that, and I totally I totally know where you're coming from. Can you talk about some of the favorite moments in shooting the series? Um, well, my absolute favorite uh, episode would have to be an episode where my character ends up uh, going on a date, and the date just goes... Uh, real sideways real quickly <laughs> and that's uh, one of my favorite episodes for sure it has to be that one um, <laughs> fantastic hey when you're uh, filming something like this and you're trying so hard to be your authentic self you're really you know bringing these kind of serious parts of um, disability representation into a humorous way there's got to have been something that came up unexpectedly or a challenge of portrayal or filming or the experience of it. So what was a challenge that you want to highlight? I think one of the biggest challenges for me is uh, remembering that uh, I can't highlight everyone's experience with mm. a disability, that mm -hmm. my experience with a disability is only my experience. And I think that's what's so important about uh, opening more doors for people to create uh, and share their own stories about their experience with disabilities. Because at a certain point, I worried that I was like uh, trying to, trying to, uh, encapsulate everything into to one show, which uh, we found out quickly it was best to sort of stick with, with my experience for sure. Mm -hmm. So some of the things in your experience, and, and very good point, of course, 
Um, do you guys, the cast, yourself, how much of your own life do you bring in? In the sense of when I say that, an example, being a broad, being an aspiring broadcaster and, and the levels of, how true to the, all that do, do you get involved or does it become a little too wielding? Um, well, I think that's, uh, that's part of the discussion is how much of my own life and my own experience do I bring in? And we, we found that there was a lot of funny things in my own experience. So a lot of it is my own experience. However, I think uh, the character specifically has a lot of uh, reflecting to do on his life that I have already done. So I think Ian, the character that I play, is a little bit more bitter and angry at the world. Mm -hmm. uh, kind of like I was when I was like 18 or 19, but I've, I've learned maybe to not be as bitter uh, anymore. But I think there's still some bitterness uh, for Ian towards uh, lack of lack of accessibility in the world. Yeah, I mean, that choice in writing lends itself so much to the learning, right? The, the people watching this show, uh, living in an able-bodied world, and the kind of empathy that we're hoping people will gain from checking out this show. And speaking of which, can I get your thoughts on how you want people to perceive this show and what you think that people will take away from it or hopefully take away from it? Um, honestly, I just hope that people take away that it's funny, uh, first and foremost, um, aside from anything else. And then maybe is it, uh, is it allows them to rethink some things about how they approach people with disabilities. Uh, that's obviously a plus, but I hope they, they enjoy and see the, the comedy in it first and foremost. Awesome. Sean, what's next in your career? Uh, well, hopefully, um, uh, a season two, hopefully. Nice. Fingers yeah. crossed. Mm -hmm. um, you bet. And then I guess uh, we'll we'll see what happens. Sean, we wish you the best of luck with mm -hmm. the first season, everybody, and thank you also for bringing forward and putting yourself and the rest of yourselves out there. And uh, CBC Gem, great, great venue in which people can take in the show. Best of luck, sir, and take care. Thanks so much for having me. You can catch for free You're My Hero on CBC Gym, and you can find it beginning March 24th. Uh, so uh, really look forward to this. Uh, check out Sean and uh, the rest of the crew theme as they bring the real stuff to us, Rum. I uh, yes, and I appreciate him telling us all about how he actually pitched this to mm -hmm. CBC. I mean, wow, that's huge stuff.
Next hour of Kelly and Romeo, hour two, we're talking woodworking with Jeff Thompson. He's telling us how a candy dispenser basically created his shop for him. I'm curious about that story. Also, we have our book club of the month. It's the last Tuesday after all. We're talking about I'm Glad My Mom Died by Jeanette McCurdy with the recommender of the book, memoir, Nisreen Abdel-Majid. But after the break, we're talking about a benefit concert being hosted by Alan Doyle for Bridges to Hope. And this is in St. John's, Newfoundland. So let's check in with Kim Thistle. Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv. Hello, I'm Sean Priest. Join me monthly for Sean of the Shed, where I introduce you to all the technology that can be so useful to us as blind or partially sighted people. Find Sean of the Shed wherever you find all your podcasts.